0: How are you doing? Top of the morning. That's why I felt like you should have said back to me there, but you didn't. But never mind. How's everyone doing? All right. Yeah. OK. Your eyes opened. Wow. One person has opened their eyes this morning. OK, great. Isn't it? I think it's always great when you um, start a message with where we're going. You know, what is the end point of what we're talking about this morning? Well, we're in week five now of our series Patterns and Promises Uh, And I think God's already spoken to us really clearly this morning, hasn't he? Because we're going to be looking um, at Genesis 28 in a moment, uh, the story of Jacob, um, and we're going to be looking at how we handle personal crisis in a spiritual way. But essentially, where you're trying to get to in that is to get a vision bigger than yourself, to get a vision bigger than your problem, to see God in a way that opens your eyes to the spiritual reality that then ministers to you, the earthly situation that you're stuck in. That's kind of the punchline of my message this morning. And I think that came out already um, in the worship um, and in what people shared this morning, what God's already put on people's um, hearts today. So that's that's where we're going. We want to start by opening our eyes. That's um, that's kind of what God's ministering ministering to us this morning. But I'm going to share with you something from um, Jacob's story that's kind of the bridge, I suppose, on how do you get to that place where you feel you're able to get a hold of God's vision for your life when you're so caught up or wrapped up or swept up um, or stuck in, um, something that's personally really getting you down and holding you back and kind of keeping your eyes closed to the spiritual things, you know, what? What is it that happened in Jacob's life that can teach us this morning how to experience God's vision for our lives instead? So uh, can you cast your minds back to January? How many months ago was that now? Three? Yeah. So back in January, it feels like a long time ago, but it wasn't really. A couple of months ago, we decided to go to the Lake District um, with um, our family and a couple of other couples and their families um, from the church leadership team. Um, and Pastor Clive and Sally were there as well. And we just put aside a Friday night and a Saturday daytime to, I guess, kind of reflect on the things that God had done um, over our lives in 2018, process those things, and ask God, you know, what is your vision um, for our church and for us as individuals in 2019? And let's kind of start the year with opening our eyes, I suppose, to God's spiritual reality um, for for ourselves and for you guys as well um, in the year ahead of us. And um, it was great. It was a really great time. And on the Saturday, Pastor Clive said, you know, is there anything that you guys want to ask me? Anything you want to talk about that's kind of been on your heart and your mind? And one of the questions that came out was, how do we have a spiritual perspective on personal crises and problems. And he spent a really long time just helping us unpack that, really, for the sake, for our own sakes, for the sake of um, the disciples in our city groups. Um, how, how do we handle personal crisis in a spiritual way? And, and I hope a lot of what he shared um, is going to be in my message today um, and um, in the passage that we look at together. But essentially, he said, you know, personal crises or times of difficulty and challenge to us should really act as a catalyst for spiritual change in our lives these things don't have to be problems that hold us back but they can be catalysts for spiritual change in our lives now i don't have a roving mic but does anyone know what a catalyst is any scientists in the house i love you helen can you stand up loud and clear no we know you can do that can you tell us what a catalyst is come on teach teach oh we've got a roving mic I'm not roving anywhere these days. So a catalyst basically is one of these things where you can input it into um, an equation, or chemical equation. Instead of taking, it takes the shortest route rather than the longest route by lowering the activation energy. So it means that basically you can do this. (laughs) The thing is, The the crazy thing about all of this is she's that beautiful and that brainy and she's still single. Think about it this way. What is up with that? The best way to describe it, imagine if you've got like a train. Instead of the train going over the hill, you build a tunnel to go through it. Yeah, efficiency. Thank you. That's the word I'm after. Because she's good. She's good. When I Googled the word catalyst, um, I came up with a couple of um, definitions. I'm going to use my second one this morning. It says a catalyst makes breaking and rebuilding happen more efficiently. A catalyst makes breaking and rebuilding happen more efficiently. And you can have um, you, know, you can have tangible physical catalysts like um, palladium and platinum and iridium and those kinds of um, tangible surfaces that a chemical reaction can take place on and fuel cell fuels can be released from. Or um, enzymes in our bodies. You know, that all the time, all the time, we're catalyzing, we're catalyzing, we're catalyzing. Weird thought, but it's true. That's how we get energy in our bodies. It's the enzymes um, that break down what we need to be released as energy so that we can keep living so isn't it amazing that um we are experiencing that even now as you're sitting here and that's another pattern that god has built into biology built into our bodies we are made to catalyze is that the correct kind of casting of that word great so um tell your friend this morning you look great and you're you're a catalyzer and you're catalyzing well and you know just catalyze it up this morning it's you're catalytic yeah, that super catalytic fragile rub, something like that. We are meant to be broken down and rebuilt efficiently. And uh, those of you that know um, one of the pastors in the Vision Cord, Pastor Bray, he, uh, I spent quite a lot of time with his family many moons ago, um, had the privilege of living in their family home in Louisiana. And at that time, I was walking through a very deep personal crisis in my own life um, and really came to that place where it was a catalyst for me of change. And I shared this story on Life Class um, of, of just getting to a place of real deep brokenness um, and looking to God to restore me. And um, I kind of as I went through this process, Pastor Bray said to me one morning, he said, Caris, never forget what it feels like to be broken because God will just have to break you all over again. You know, brokenness is a powerful part of our walk before the Lord. It's a good place to be. Uh, it's, a gr- it's a great place to be in the dealings of God. So don't be afraid of that. Um, and don't don't feel ashamed or um, depressed or low if you're here this morning carrying a bit of a personal crisis around with you because it's in these moments that God can really meet us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we were away on this weekend um, in the Lake District um, and uh, Pastor Clive shared this wisdom with us about how to... Um, use personal crisis as a catalyst to really encounter the Lord. And then we got back on the Monday morning. I've ruined it. Sorry, haven't I? Sorry, Adam. Better? I do apologize. You're very gracious, thank you. So I got back on the Monday morning, um, and I opened my Bible. And what was in my planned daily reading for that day was Genesis 28, which is the story of Jacob. Let me tell you a bit of background about Jacob, because sort of, um, we're going through Genesis. We took quite a step forward last week with Steve into Abraham's story. Um, and Abraham had a son called Isaac, who we heard about last week, um, and all that Isaac represented. And then Isaac had a son called Jacob. So Jacob is, Isaac, is Abraham's grandson, if you can follow the generations. So we're going to be looking at Isaac's son and Abraham's grandson this morning. And Jacob was a twin. Um, and he was the younger twin by a few moments. He had an older twin brother called um, Esau. Um, and I think twins have a very unique and special um, dynamic. Um, I only know this second hand. My husband's a twin. He's the younger twin. So he's the Jacob in this scenario. Don't tell uh, Liam I said that. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's, a very int- there's, there's a closeness about them and a, a relationship that they have that I think those of us that aren't twins can't always get our heads around it's a special thing to be a twin. But in this scenario, Jacob and Esau did not get on well. Um, and in, the, in patriarchal society, the importance placed on the firstborn child is, like, big. You know, if you're the firstborn son, then you inherit physically the goods and the lands. You inherit a spiritual blessing for leadership. You're involved in God's kind of covenant to um, grow the Israelites and prosper your family. You become part of, kind of the lineage of Christ and as the promise passes down. So it's a really big deal to be the oldest son. So imagine being the one that missed out by you know, a few minutes. You know, it's one thing if your brother's five years older than you, but, you know, if he's five minutes older than you, there's going to be something in you that's like, oh, I just missed out. If I could just push my way past him in the birth canal, it could have been me. Um, and he does try. If you read the story, you know, we get this kind of one hands out. They tie a red ribbon around it, don't they? And then it comes back in and Esau pips him to the post. And um, I think they didn't get on that well, really, as they grew up. And uh, so what happens is that... Um, this is very unfortunate, but the mother, Rebecca, favours Jacob as her favourite twin, and the father, Isaac, favours Esau as his favourite twin. I mean, if you've got that kind of parental competition between them going on, it's no doubt, it's not, it, you know, it's not surprised surprise, really, that they were in contention with one another. And um, as, uh, as they grow up, they're very, very different personalities, kind of chalk and cheese situation. Um, and eventually, uh, Isaac gets very ill uh, he starts to lose sight in his eyes, starts to go blind, starts to feel very um, unhealthy and it looks like his life is going to end. And um, his job as a father was to bestow like a patriarchal blessing on the first born son and pray this amazing kind of, impart his power, impart his leadership on his oldest son. And Rebecca, the mother, she's feeling all upset about this because it's not fair. My Jacob, you know, he could have got it. He was only five minutes late. You know, she wants Jacob to get this blessing. So she talks him into this kind of um, espionage situation, I suppose. And she um, gets Jacob to cover his hands in like big, hairy, rough skin. Because Esau, his older brother, was kind of, I don't know, big and hairy apparently. Um, And uh, she gets Jacob to go and kneel before his father Isaac um, and present himself as though he's Esau. Um, And even though his voice isn't quite right, it works and Isaac prays his patriarchal blessing, of which he only has one. Um, on his firstborn son. Um, And turns out afterwards that it was the wrong son. It was Jacob. It wasn't Esau that got the blessing. And Esau, understandably, is mad. He is like raging, raging mad. Um, And because his father's about to die, he kind of holds back. But the Bible tells us that he consoles himself with thoughts of how to murder Joseph. Um, So things are really not good. Um, Sorry for Jacob. Things are really, really, really not good for Jacob um, at this time and we're going to pick the story up in chapter 28 where he's basically on the run from his murderous brother. Um, so he's running away from home. His mother, his mother knows that um, Esau is mad and wants to murder Jacob and um, so she persuades her husband Isaac to send Joseph away to find a wife um, from their own people group because now that he's got the patriarchal blessing she wants to make sure that um, he marries into the, the right part of God's family to kind of keep that alive So they they send him away, and he says yes, of course, and and goes to find um, a wife in in another part of the land. But really, it's to escape his brother. And we're going to pick the story up um, as he's on the run um, in Genesis 28. And it says this, Jacob's dream at Bethel. Uh, Genesis 28, verse 10 to 22. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream, or a vision, some people call it, in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I love that bit. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other... This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give to me, I will give you back a tenth. Should we pray? Okay. Father, we put our hearts and our minds in your hands now. We ask that you would speak to us, God, that you would teach us, that you would shape us, that you would um, give us courage and strength to uh, respond to your word this morning in the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what can Jacob's experience teach us today about establishing a better pattern when we get into personal crises or times of trouble or a bit of a funk? What can we learn from Jacob to help us do it better and more spiritually? Well, the first thing I want to share with you this morning is that our trust must outweigh our troubles. Our trust in God, our trust in His purposes, our trust in His plans, our trust in His promises for our lives must outweigh our troubles that. We're in, so let me have a look. Shay, I'm really sorry, but you're in my line of sight, so you, my friend, I need to borrow you. You can come and be Jacob for us today. And I have here a lovely pillow. Would you like to um, just lie yourself down on the stage here? Sit your head on that rock and just fall asleep for me? That would be really helpful. He's making it look easy. Lovely, right? I'll come back to you in a while. You just chill. Yeah, thank you. You know, somehow, in the middle of the wilderness, and in spite of all his worries, he falls asleep with his head literally in between a rock and a hard place. Like, there he is, head on a rock, all the problems in the world, and he somehow gets to sleep. Now this isn't really like a scheduled camping trip that he's been planning with his dad for the last year because it's his birthday and you know they're going to climb a mountain and all that sort of stuff. No this is like your brother's going to kill you go and get a wife flee. You know he hasn't had time to pack and prepare and he hasn't like worked out points on the map that he's going to stop and refuel and meet up with friends or anything like that. You know there's there isn't equipment that he has taken with him for this trip. It's unscheduled. It's uncomfortable. It's not glamorous, and he's got a lot of stuff going on inside his head as well, you know, he's processing all those things that I just told you about, so his head internally is full of worry, and his head externally is literally on a rock, you know, this is not a good place for him to be. Have you ever lost sleep over something that's really worried you? Yeah, okay, a lot of nods, yeah, like an exam, um, or maybe you're weighing up options, you know, should I live here, should I live there, or uh, maybe it's kind of financial worries that are keeping you awake at night or um, a job interview that you're trying to prepare for and you're getting quite nervous about it. And maybe there's somebody in your family or one of your friends that you know is struggling and you're just kind of up late at night thinking about them. Um, I can't not talk to you about geckos now, can I? Because geckos seem to be the theme of my messages. So uh, we had a great example of um, not sleeping well in our house the the day. Because... I woke up and um, Ben was coming, alright, <laughs> I was having a dream. And one of the things I've identified about myself is that when I'm anxious about something I tend to dream about geckos. Um, this is like, this is my new anxiety dream because I really do love this little gecko that we've got, this very spiritual gecko I was telling you about. And, uh, And geckos can, as long as their tails are fat enough, I'm going to make this story really long, Shay, just to keep you there as long as I can, (laughs) as long as geckos have very fat tails, that's like their fat store, and if if they're well fed, they can last about a week um, without you then feeding them. Um, but it's not ideal. We like our gecko to be plump and happy, so we try to remember to feed him, but it's actually quite hard to get food for the geckos because it has to be live food, and there is a shop in fenham that sells it, but they sell out within about 20 minutes on a Thursday, so if you don't make it, then, you know, so we have one of these scenarios where we kind of run out of food, um, and we hadn't really managed to buy any new food, and it had been about a week since this poor gecko had eaten, and his tail was, you know, fat, so I felt okay about it, but it was, like, definitely in the back of my mind, like, counting down to Thursday, making sure I'm at the shop to be, like, first in the queue to get the locusts um, to feed him again. And obviously, I was worrying about this in my head. And in my dream, he was on death's door. Little lightning, the gorgeous little yellow gecko with the pink tail. And my son's face, if that gecko died, it would be, he was expensive as well, so I don't really want to replace him. <laughs> and um, he was. We told Leo for his birthday, he'll go and pick any of the geckos. They're all about 30 quid. Um, apart from one gecko, which we hadn't spotted the price tag on, and of course he picked that unique, rare breed of gecko that cost twice as much as all the other geckos. Anyway, in my dream, the gecko was dying, um, and I was really worried about it. Um, and in my sleep, I said, we must feed the gecko. <laughs> um, and then the next thing I knew, like, it was kind of like 3 in the morning, and, and Ben was, I thought, just like wandering around our bedroom randomly. I was like, "What are you, are you all right? Why are you awake? What's going on?" And he said, "You told me to get up and feed the gecko." <laughs> I was like, "What? Oh, that? Oh!" So I kind of woke up and I realized that I must have been sleep talking as well as like having this nightmare about the gecko. And Ben, in his like just sweet, amazing nature, at 3 a.m. in the morning, had indeed got gone up, gotten up, gone downstairs, found the last remaining crickets um, in the bottom of this scabby box on these three crickets and they're wily creatures um and managed to get them into the ke- into the gecko's vivarium, and fed the gecko and then come back to bed like willingly and graciously how nice is that <laughs> I, I know round of applause for the gecko feeling <laughs> <laughs> um he went back to sleep i paid for that but i was 3 a.m then and i was awake so um i'm sorry i did toss and turn for about an hour and a half trying to get back to sleep um but uh, to no avail so i did i did pay for it with a lack of sleep afterwards but you know we can worry about the most mundane things, can't we? We can toss and turn um, all, all night long, or for portions of the night. And I mean, they're first world problems, really. And we've got posh pillows, you know. Whereas this guy here has got li- you know all the cares in the world. He's, there's a death wish out on him, you know. He's on uh, Esau's most wanted list. And Esau, remember, is big and hairy and good at shooting. So it's not like you're on the run from like I don't know, me. You're on. The, like, <laughs> I, I can't run very far these days. It's the shoes. Um, you know, you're, he's escaping, uh, you know, a lean, mean, killing machine. Uh, and th- he's just like, oh, well, pull up a stone. Hell, they'll get sorted. And can you snore for us? <laughs> Do a bit of snoring. snoring? The guy's snoring. He's sleeping well, you know. And there's two reasons that he's sleeping well. The first is he's a man. Uh, and they seem to be able to turn worries off. Um, and the second is he's a spiritual man, you know. This is a guy that... Ha- we can assume is in a very deep sleep because he has a very, very deep dream. Um, and to me, this indicates that there's a level of kind of deep trust in God that somehow this is all going to be okay. God's going to help him work it out, and he's going to be out. He's, he's, he can lie down and sleep in peace tonight. And we don't actually know a huge amount about Jacob's relationship with God at this stage um, in Genesis. But if you look back to Genesis uh, chapter 25, verse 27, Um, various Bible translations describe the difference between the brothers, and they describe Jacob as a peaceful man who was content to dwell um, among kind of the the tents and the homestead of his parents. And the Hebrew word um, that describes this word peaceful is tam, T-A-M, in um, the English translation across from the Hebrew. And this is used um, like 11 other times in the Bible, but in those other occurrences, I found it quite useful to look into them, because... They were, that same word described people who were upright, who were blameless, um, and who were guiltless. That's how God used that word to describe um, people, other people in the Bible in the Old Testament with that same sense. Um, and we also know that he's on this journey because his parents have told him to go and find a wife. So um, there's, there's maybe a desire in him perhaps to um, be obedient to kind of his parents, maybe people in authority over him. Um, and maybe there's a desire to remain right in his relationship with God as well because he wants to marry the right person to sort of stay um, in the covenant of God as he's asked the Israelites to do. So these are, these are things that I thought, okay, well, maybe that gives us a bit more insight into the kind of person Jacob might have been. So one perspective of the story is, you know, here's a random man um, alone in the middle of nowhere on a mission to forge a future that is completely... Uh, mysterious to him unknown with no guarantee of success you know don't forget as well we know his father's dying so he's probably carrying some of the grief and the worry of thinking i might never see him alive again and of course knowing that this lean mean killing machine wants him dead but there's another perspective maybe on this guy if we sort of look into the scriptures a little bit more that maybe he's a man who's you know obedient to direction maybe he wants to be right before god and maintain like a godly character and an upright and a blameless character Um, And trust God that, you know, if he gets going somehow, God's going to guide him and meet him on this journey somewhere and save him. And I kind of get the feeling that if you're going to sleep like that, you're probably more in that camp than you are in the first camp. It's the same man, same situations, but two different perspectives on it. And one results in, potentially could have resulted in deep distress and anguish and wailing and tossing and turning and panicking, but the other results in a deep rest that comes over him and enables him to have this incredible dream and vision. Um, of the Lord. So let's go for that second perspective in our times of trouble and let's let our trust in God um, and the, the things that we know He's spoken to us, the truth of the scripture, um, outweigh the troubles that we have. And the second thing that we can see in Jacob's um, story that can really help us build a bridge from our personal crisis to having a spiritual perspective um, is that our desperation must outweigh our discomfort. Our desperation must outweigh our discomfort. We, um, we're quite a wordy family, we have a lot of words to say, um, and we like words and we like reading, and, and me and Ben both really enjoy kind of word play, and the kids enjoy um, playing with words and coming up with puns, and I blame Plastic Life for all of that, obviously. Uh, so we have a few kind of dotty sayings in our household that we've um, kind of created that we say a lot, so my favorite one is, um, a speedy sorry sets things straight. That's, yeah, hashtag Doherty sayings, number one. That's a good one. Um, Stella, we often tell her, it's, it's good to have strong, strong ideas but softly spoken. Stella, it's good to have strong ideas but you need to learn how to speak them softly. What other ones have we got? Stay hydrated. It's underrated. <laughs> Very useful one. I, and <laughs> the one thing I left all of the grow children with when I taught them was that saying. Um, I think this, um, and so the other few things that have crept into our Uh, life recently is actually the kids and Ben taking the mick out of me because I've got this like birth affirmations kind of thing that I mp3 that I downloaded that I play in the background every so often as I'm cooking or cleaning or whatever and there's this woman on it and she goes um they're not contractions they're surges what is it again your surges your surges are not stronger than you because they are you so, so I place this in the background. Every so often, the kids just go up to me and go, Your stages are not stronger than you, mommy, because they are you. I'm like, thanks, kids. Super helpful. Uh, I think this will make a better birth motto. Your desperation must outweigh your discomfort. Your desperation for this to end and you to have a child must outweigh your, frankly, indescribable discomfort. And there's no amount of plinky-plonky music you can put behind that that makes it any better. <sighs> breathe. It's a good saying though, your desperation must outweigh your discomfort. If you look back to chapter 25 again, you know, we can learn something more about Jacob's desperation. Um, And he was a really desperate man to be part of God's covenant promise for his people because not only did he steal um, the kind of patriarchal blessing and prayer from his father, but um, before that happened, when he was about 16 years old, he actually took something else that was Esau's by right. And it was called the birthright. And the birthright is the right of the firstborn child to be in a special covenant relationship with the Lord. Um, and during the patriarchal period where um, Jacob and Esau were um, being raised, God dealt directly and significantly and deeply with the heads of the families. So if you had the birthright, you had access to this special covenant relationship. And personal kind of dealing with God. And um, when they're about 16 years old, Esau went out for the day. He went hunting all day and he came back and he was really, really hungry. Are you all right down there still? He's asleep now, definitely. You're doing great. So Esau was starving hungry and, um, and Jacob had just made some kind of mouth-wateringly wonderful, delicious-tasting stew stirring on the cooking pot and Esau rushes up to him and says, give me some of that soup. And uh, Jacob says all right, I'll give you the soup if you give me your birthright. You know, right from a young age, he had his eyes on this prize, something, he'd, it's like he recognized something spiritually significant that Esau just wasn't even bothered about, because Esau was like, fine, I'm going to die, so what good is my birthright if I'm dead? Give me the stew, fine, whatever, I have my birthright, I just need to eat, feed me. Also a man. And that tells us that Jacob highly desired and prized that special relationship And position of leadership and covenant with God right from a really young age. He'd been thinking about it and working out, you know, why can't I have that? How can I have that? And he he managed to win it off Esau. And I think that's a really good question for us this morning, isn't it? Because that birthright is available to all of us now. We're heirs of Christ because of the cross. Um, and that, that special covenant relationship with God and that ability to be um, in a leadership, personal relationship with God is available to all of us. And I think there's the question that God would ask us today is you know, how desperate are we to be in that relationship and owning that and having that and taking part in that? You know, what would we sell or swap or sneak into to be part of God's promises for his people and, and part of God's future um, for us? And you know, Masterclass is a great opportunity to come back later on this afternoon and learn a little bit more about that. So sneak into that if you weren't planning to already. But you know, in the birthright story, I love it because Jacob's spiritual hunger is really clearly um, contrasted with Esau's natural hunger. So Jacob's got this spiritual hunger for a birthright that is eternally significant. It's a lifelong connection with God. And it's compared instead to Esau's human hunger to find an earthly fix that will help him feel temporarily better. It's quite a different perspective on The birthright. Esau says, he does say, you have to look it up in 25, look, I'm going to die. I need that stew so much. You know, there's a high level of drama there, I think. Uh, But he was obviously feeling also a strong sense of personal... And, discomfort. and he just wanted to get rid of that feeling of being so hungry and weak and shaky as quickly as he possibly could. So he sold out on something really spiritually significant just for that instant, immediate gratification and comfort of the stew. And I think that's really, really important for us today, too, because when we experience difficulty and challenge and setback and disappointment and loss or um, fatigue or feeling burnt out, um, we can often seek distraction more often in the form of comfort than we can in God's presence. So, Jacob, I'm going to make things a little bit nicer for you this morning. Okay, what do we got here? It's a bit girly, this. Got your glass of wine? Sorry. Here you go. That's for you. Got your packet of biscuits. Nice smelly candle. Do you want to put your head on this instead? There we go. That's for you make you a little bit more comfortable shall we have you got your phone on you have you got a smartphone why don't you have a no has anyone got a smartphone they can lend you and just so you can watch a bit of netflix or scroll through some instagram or just you know make yourself a lot more comfortable and uh who thinks that looks better right that looks nicer sounds nice to be comfortable makes us feel better when we've got things like that around us and that's the problem with comfort it's like a a, like catnip something that you keep going back to you know when we when we're when we're in distress when we're in discomfort whether that's we're ravenously hungry or and we're feeling really burnt out at work or we're really upset about our some a relationship or something somebody said to us when we find something to comfort us it makes us feel better so we repeat the comforting experience because we know it makes us feel better And then we reinforce this behavior of covering up our discomfort with things that make us feel better. And this can create a pattern of comfort in our lives that we think is protecting us and keeping us away from having to experience the really painful reality of the problem that we're trying to stay away from. And it does sound nice, but the problem is that comfort also keeps us really distracted and desensitize to that spiritual hunger that we actually need to experience if we're going to break out of the pattern of just self-soothing all the time and break into having a spiritual perspective on our situation instead. Now, the discomfort of a crisis isn't something bad to be afraid of. It's good to feel uncomfortable. It's good to feel churned up like that because it's that catalyst that we were talking about at the beginning of the message. It's that catalyst that causes something to rise up in us that desperation to, to come up and to push us and propel us, chase us even into God's presence and God's purpose for our lives and God's vision for our lives instead. And, you know, we use that word efficiently. It might sound a bit technological or scientific or a bit cold or clinical this morning, but it's such a key word for us because the catalyst makes the breaking and rebuilding of something happen more efficiently. And really, it's so much more efficient to experience the brokenness genuine brokenness that gives us a desperation to encounter God and then let him rebuild us and let him restore us and let him move us forward. That's so much more efficient in moving forward in our lives than just getting stuck in this reinforcing pattern of crisis comfort, crisis comfort, crisis comfort. It's a whirlpool that just goes around. and doesn't take you anywhere. But when you let yourself experience the discomfort and drive that into God's presence, like Psalms are an excellent example. Like, David does that over and over and over again. He pours out very viscerally the discomfort that he's in, um, but he turns to God with it and recognizes God's spiritual perspective on his physical discomfort instead. And I once read this great quote that said, change occurs when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of doing things differently. It's good, I'm going to say that again. Change occurs when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of doing things differently. So I'm really sorry, Shay. but I'm going to ask someone to come and remove all of your comforting items. Thanks, John. I think we're going to to take him back. He's going to experience the... (laughs) (laughs) They're Ben's biscuits, mind. I'll be in trouble if you open them. Pillow and blankets. They've got to go, buddy. Sorry. We're We're going right back to the rock. We're going to put you back in that place of personal crisis. The discomfort is back because this is the last thing that we learn, um, or there's many things we can learn from the passage, but this is the last thing I'm going to draw out for you this morning. It's that the grace of God must outweigh the grind of our lives. Grace must outweigh the grind. And I've kind of been talking about crisis as maybe like a one-off thing, like something really bad that happens um, to you one time or like one major event or one awful traumatic thing that happens to you. But um, actually, it doesn't we don't have to experience something specific to feel like we're kind of stuck in crisis mode. You ever know, kind of describe yourself like that, like oh, I'm just in survival mode. I'm just limping through. I'm just kind of hanging on till I get there sort of thing. You know, there's, life's busy. And, you know, there are bills to pay and babies to have and Brexit's to negotiate and all, all sorts of other things being able to be blueberries that are too expensive to pay for. I don't know. You know, li- life can get pretty heavy every every day sometimes we can just feel like we're in survival mode we're just keeping going keeping going keeping going and things are heavy and we're just surviving and expressions that i've heard people use before and i've probably used myself as well i feel a bit stuck in a rut just feel a bit worn down Uh, just yeah just feel like i'm head head above water it's another one you might have heard people use before And I think we've looked at this in the past few weeks. When we feel like that, one of our temptations can be to engineer our circumstances and to try and change them to help us feel better, as well as seek comfort in the things that we've been talking about, you know, bottle of wine on a Friday night or, um, you know, escaping from reality with movies or books or um, spending money that we don't have on online shopping or or buying too many biscuits at the supermarket, all the things that we can do to kind of create that level of, padding between us and the problem you know we can do all those sorts of things and sometimes we can want a change of scenery Have you ever like honestly I wrote this while I was writing this the other day like the next thing I knew I was like oh do you know what I wonder if we could go on holiday this year I'm like whoa hang on a second you know sometimes we think a change of scenery can sort everything out for us and give us a fresh perspective or um at least tide us over till our next mini break can happen and we're looking for ways to escape and keep adding to that padding to keep us away from Our problems. But I find it so encouraging that in this story, you know, God wants to encounter Jacob, but he doesn't kind of whisk him away in the middle of the night to the top of a mountain. You know, sometimes we read before this of Moses really encountering the Lord up the mountain and the cloud descending, and that's the real place that you get an encounter with God. But nothing physical changes as Jacob encounters God and has his amazing vision. Like, he's still in this place, his head is still on a rock while the whole thing happens um and he doesn't wait till Jacob gets to like you know a prettier spot on the journey either like um I read this thing a while ago that um millennials you know how it used to be like gap year students they went to the gap year and they would like go um I don't know what did gap year people do I never had a one Peru Peru. right okay so you go so there was like popular destinations where students would go on like these gap year trips or Thailand yeah I've heard of that one Yeah, you know, you go and find yourself and that was a trendy thing to do now. Well, apparently now millennials are driven most by, um, there's like, there's a study done, there's like 10 top most photographic places that look best in a selfie on Instagram, something like that. There's like places that look better on a selfie on Instagram than anywhere else in the world and that's now what millennials do on their gap yards. Um, They don't go and um, do anything particularly meaningful other than try and get them, get into that selfie spot because it looks so amazing on your Instagram feed. Well, you know, God doesn't wait until Jacob's in, like, a really pretty, picturesque spot on the journey. Like, I'm going to wait till we get to that really nice waterfall that I know he's going to reach on his way to Haran. And that's where I'm going to encounter him. And the glory of the roaring water is going to accentuate the experience he has of encountering me. And, it's, you know, he's going to remember it forever because it was so picturesque. You know, God doesn't wait. He just gets straight to it on the journey, right there, lying on the hard place, with his head in a rock, lying in a hard place. That's, that's that stony place that God speaks to him it's not glamorous it's unglamorous and it's uncomfortable um, but it's that place that God meets him and I think that's what God wants to encourage us with today as well you know he can change us and he can bless us and he can meet us he can encounter us he can open our eyes he can speak promises and a destiny and a future and a purpose over us in the place that we're at right now even if we're feeling like life's really hard and our heads on a rock and it's all terrible um there was this thing doing the rounds Um, on Facebook a while ago that Claire Harrison posted who used to be part of our church and it was um, things that make you British. And one of them was um, you spend, you know you've got guests coming over so you spend like three hours tidying the house and getting all perfect and pretty and then the first thing you say to them when they walk through the door is oh please excuse the mess. I was like yeah, that's true. Apparently British people can't do anything without standing up and going right. (laughs) I was like yeah. There's like 50 of them, they're all like freakly accurate. Um, you've probably heard about like, oh, sorry. you've probably heard about like the cleaners coming phenomenally. Yeah? If you're blessed enough to ever have a cleaner coming to your house, you wake up that morning and you're like, oh, "Cleaners are coming today," and you spend like half an hour like cleaning your house, because <laughs> you're embarrassed that the cleaners might see your house unclean. It's like, <laughs> I still why do we do that? But it's true. It's, maybe it's just a British thing, but you don't have to do that in your own personal life if you need an encounter from God. You know, you don't have to um, wait until your finances are in order. You don't have to, like, wait until you've met the person that um, you're convinced you're going to marry. You don't have to um, get the messy areas of your lives tidied up before you put your life before God. You know, you're to have to sit, sit here this morning and be like, well, I'm not going to respond in the ministry time, which we're going to have in a little while, because um, I'm embarrassed to admit that I've got this awful habit that I haven't been able to kick yet. You, know, that's, you don't wait until you've cleaned before, to get the cleaners in. You know, you've got to let God encounter you in the mess that you're in, in the difficult place that you're in. Um, when your head's on the rock and things are really bad, that's when God wants to encounter you and meet you and speak better things over you and draw your heart back to your promises. He said, I'll never leave you until I've accomplished what I've promised in your life. And that's what God wants to say to us in the middle of our mess. And the other thing, I suppose, the last thing really, is that nothing physical changes about Jacob's circumstances when he wakes up. You can kind of sit up now if you want. You know, the rock, well, you're, I shake your hand, sir. You are nails. Yeah, you can't go anywhere, though. I just need you to, to sit next to the rock for a moment for me, okay? Thank you. The journey's not over. You in that rock. Nothing physical changes about his circumstances when he opens his eyes. It's not like God's promised him this amazing future, this amazing destiny, and also magicked him up like a horse, so, so that he's got you know, so he can get there quicker. Or I'm left him like a bag of groceries for breakfast in the morning. Or you know, nothing physical changes. There's not like a postcard from Esau magically under the pillow that's like, "I forgive you. We're going to be okay. Don't worry." You know, it's the same place when he wakes up that the, the change has happened not here in the place that he is but here in between his ears, you know, in his head and in his heart. That's the most amazing, that's where the change has really, really happened. And so don't think that just because your circumstances don't, haven't changed that God isn't encountering you and God isn't meeting your needs but really look inside and say, God, this is, I know this is the place that you need to do the work. It's my eyes that need to be opened so that I can see things differently. And um, Jacob receives an amazing revelation. And I think this is the really key thing that we all need to understand about our own lives today because he's able to wake up, look at the place that he's in, where nothing has changed and say, in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. I didn't need to wait until I found somewhere more comfortable or better or with friends or find the wife or anything like that. It was this place. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. And in response to that revelation, he he picks up his pillow. Thank you very much. Finds somewhere great, and he kind of sets it up upright as a pillar before the Lord. The pillow becomes a pillar. Maybe you could tip it up on end. Will Will it stand? Yeah, look at that. That's perfect. Thank you. He sets his pillow up as a pillar. It's the same object, same place, but with a different understanding of the way that he uh, could powerfully connect with God in a moment of crisis and that God could encounter him and deliver his promises to him even in that place of real personal challenge and difficulty. And, you know, of course, his whole life didn't change at that point. You know, there were, he still had to make a long journey. Um, There were still challenging relationships to work through. there was still quite a lot of financial things that he had to sort out in his life. He had battles to win and wells to dig and a brother to eventually kind of win back and um, sort things out with again. But because he had this encounter with God, it was as if he knew that the grace of God would carry him through everything that lay ahead of him. And the Bible tells us in that story that he poured oil over the stone. And for me, that represents, you know, the grace of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside us when we're in the grind of life and, you know, oils the joints again. Just puts the grace back into the situation that en- enables you to be in the same place but with the grace of the Holy Spirit kind of covering you and helping you um, and repositioning your problem. You know, he's was a flat pillow somewhere else. He's repositioned it. He's reangled it. He's recast his problem in a different way as actually a place of promise where he encountered God in a powerful way. And that's my encouragement to us this morning. Can we do the same with Our pillows, our problems, the stone places that are uncomfortable and difficult for us to be in. Can we reposition them as pillars, as places of promise where we encounter God before the Lord instead? And can we open our eyes to the same challenge, the same situations, the same difficulties, but in a spiritual way instead this morning and let God pour the oil of his grace all over it? Can we say this morning about the situations that we're in that are uncomfortable or difficult, surely the Lord is in this place in fact why don't we stand to finish and let's just say that out loud together as a declaration you know surely the Lord is in this place sure say so find three people and just say that from this morning you know surely the, the, Lord, Lord, is is place. Place. Surely the Lord is in this place surely the Lord is in this place surely the Lord is in this place. Amen. Surely the Lord is in this place. This stony, uncomfortable, difficult, confusing place. Surely the Lord is in this place. And um, I, I suppose it was great to make space um, last week to pray for um, a particular family situation and challenge and There's been a few things that have come up this week, and I know the leadership team have really got a heart to pray for some people that are in difficult places at the moment. They're in stony places, that are in uncomfortable places. And if that's you this morning, why don't you come forward? There's a bit of space around here. Come and join me at the pillar. Um, And we're going to just pray for you as a leadership team. If you need a special touch of God's grace this morning, if you really need God's grace, God's Holy Spirit to come and to be poured over your difficult situation this morning, why don't you come and join me at the front here I'm talking about healing. If there's a sickness in your body that you need God to touch. I'm talking financially. If you're short financially of something that you feel God's asked you to do, come forward. Surely there's got to be more than just two of you this morning that are in a difficult place that you need God to break through. And maybe it's a family situation, somebody in your family that's far from God at the moment, and you're thinking, God's got to be working in their life as well this morning. You come forward. We're going to pray for you today. If you're struggling as a family with um, sickness or difficulty or ill health please come forward this morning because we want to pray for you this morning and and I'm going to ask the leadership team just as the guys lead us in worship to come um, and to minister to you Pastor Clive do you want to say anything specific at this time okay and those of us that are not responding in this moment like why don't you support these people that are in a stony place at the moment and prophesy good things over them to help them By praying and raising the temperature and the spirit this morning, calling out to God, helping us encounter God this morning, helping us experience him this morning in a powerful way that we can say, you know, surely the Lord is in this place this morning.